Everybody, we are back. We've been having, I have to say, we've been having really good responses to our series about the different roles that someone can play in Star Trek Adventures. And so we're going to keep it rolling. <laughs> ah, <laughs> ah. Got that? Did you get that? Um, <laughs> this week, I'm Michael Dismuke, freelance writer for Star Trek Adventures RPG, in addition to being a blogger on Continuing Missions, which is the number one fan site for Star Trek Adventures. And of course, as usual, we have my lovely co-host, Jim Johnson. Why don't you start us out and introduce our other guests today? Hey, everybody. I am Jim Johnson. I am the project manager and line editor for the Star Trek Adventures RPG, published by Modipius Entertainment, low these many years, heading into uh, year seven here, I think year eight, something like that. I don't know. I've lost track. Uh, many, many years now. We're, we're, we've been doing this game as long as uh, Next Gen and DS9 and Voyager were on the air, and we're heading out beyond that now. So it's pretty exciting. Uncharted territory here. So this is super cool. Um, I am here to co-host this here show along with Michael, and we have two fabulous guests with us tonight. So I will uh, introduce them. They'll introduce themselves, tell us a little bit about themselves. And what, what's our first uh, topic tonight? Is it uh, our flight? topic is about con on helm officers, however you want to call them, navigators, and all that good stuff. All right, so con con flight officers, helmsmen, whatever. Uh, so introduce yourself, and then tell us uh, who your favorite uh, helm slash con officer is. And uh, Sky, why don't you get us going here? Uh, I'm Sky, and I am super fan. Super fan, <laughs> yeah. Um, and my favorite helm officer is easily Thomas Eugene Paris. Hi, Riker. Yeah. Yeah. Is that your cat named Riker? He's my cat. Yeah, his name I is Riker. It. I think I think Riker agrees. Riker. Yes. <laughs> Tom Paris. Fantastic. Awesome. Thank you, Sky. And uh, Al, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, who your favorite con slash helmsman is. Uh, how's it going? Uh, Al Spader. Uh, I'm a freelance writer for Star Trek Adventures. Um, also uh, GM lots of different games uh, on the weekends. Uh, and I'm going to uh, echo back Tom Paris. And I think it has, uh, as we're going to get into, it has more to do with the character um, and, and how they address uh, the role uh, than just the role itself. Mm-hmm. All right, thank you, Al and uh, Michael. Just for the sake of completion, who's your who's your favorite helmsman slash uh, con officer? You know, I thought about person, this. I guess, helms helms person and and con officer flight sure. controller. I guess would be more appropriate. <laughs> okay, yeah, our flight controller. Um, honestly, you know, Tom Paris was. I'm a big Voyager fan, but when it came down to it, I cannot ever get Sulu out of my mind. I mean, Sulu. just classic Helms person. And of course, just because of his succession to captain and he was so kick butt in my favorite movie, Star Trek, uh, uh, the six um, undiscovered country. He, he, he came in. And when I think about him as a flight controller, I think about him when they said, uh, you know, if we fire this fast, we'll break her apart. And he's like, break her apart then. Oh, I mean, he was, he just knew what his ship could do. And that was just the ultimate hero moment. So Sulu gets it for me. What about you, Jim? Yeah, I've got to, uh, I've got to agree with you. I think just thinking about all the series like uh, Next Gen DS9 just didn't have really a consistent flight officer right in, in that spot from season to season. 
And uh, I liked Paris, you know, as a character, but like, I think the the prototypical flight controller that I had in my mind when I was writing the, the command source book and uh, and really emphasizing how the con officer, in my opinion anyway, is is really uh, a per a person of all trades and, and is a very good place to be um, like multitasking and have a lot of different things going on. That's not just being the the flight controller or the the astro astro astrometrics and uh, that kind of stuff. So I think Sulu is great because Sulu was such a well-rounded character in addition to being the Helms person. And um, I, he's just a neat character. And uh, I mean, even aside from George Takai, you know, playing him, I, I think Sulu, I, partly because also uh, Sulu is a good example of a role-playing game character who progressed from, from season to season and then into the movies, eventually yeah. getting his own command, which is super cool because you can absolutely emulate that in uh, Star Trek Adventures without really any difficulty. There you go. Yeah. And I, think, sure. I, I, yeah I think both that story. Sky and Alf yeah. characters did the same. And, and, bef- and my inner geek just kicked me in the butt, by the way. It wasn't Breaker Apart. It's Flyer Apart. I just heard it mm-hmm. and I said, that just didn't sound right. So I just want to correct that before I get hate mail or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Cool. All right. So I think the uh, the last bunch of episodes, we've done Doctor, Captain, First Officer. Um, just like just like those episodes, we're going to talk about what makes the flight controller super awesome. And uh, I think I guess Al would probably be appropriate to 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 talk to you first because you you wrote the chapter in the in the player's guide, right? And uh, you know, as with the other episodes, if you haven't watched them yet, folks, go go check them out. If there's an if there's a role that you really like and are curious about, but uh, I encourage Al, like, tell us why this role is awesome. And how you know who's suited for this kind of role? So uh, Al, why don't you tell us a little bit about what what you were thinking when you wrote that section? Yeah, uh, it, it was very interesting because I had played my my main character was a flight controller, so um, I really dove into this section, <clears throat> and I did a lot of research um, and actually took some stuff that I wanted to put in this section and pushed it off to Utopia Planitia. Um, that I had uh, learned along the way. Um, but it was interesting to look at, uh, you know, from the olden days of Trek where you had like a separate navigator to when it kind of became an all combined role, um, you know, as we got into the 24th century. So, um, you know, I talked about that in there and how, um, you know, computing became uh, so advanced that you, it was really something that could be done by only one person and someone that wasn't as high a rank necessarily um, as uh, as some of the other jobs on the ship. Um, and then I also had to take into consideration, well, we talk about a flight controller and how they pilot a ship and maneuver it around and deal with obstacles and things like that. Um, but w- how is that position different on uh, a star base as opposed to on a starship, right? Where it's probably more of some type of management type job, um, you know, guiding, uh, you know, different docking bays and and things like that. So that's really the direction that I went was, um, you know, how can this job be seen uh, across multiple eras uh, and multiple different uh, locations? I want to ask a question since you mentioned it too. So suppose people are playing in the era of TOS, because again, in, in Enterprise, the NX-01, we see that there was one flight controller, May- Mayweather, right? And then all of a sudden we see what would be about roughly a hundred years later, 
you know, when there's supposed to be advancement, um, helm and navigation. So what's the what's the Star Trek lore about that? And like, what are, how are those roles differently in case people are playing it? Because I know in, in the game I'm GMing now, tabletop Star Trek RPG, um, we now have a helm officer and a navigator. And they're like, well, aren't these overlapping? So can we talk about that to clarify how people can best utilize yeah, I mean, I think that uh, the biggest uh, thing here is when we're, we start talking about um, uh, astrometrics and um, location and um, who's responsible for uh, charting a course uh, in a larger scale, um, as opposed to who might be in charge of maneuvering the ship under impulse, um, you know, um, uh, attack patterns, de uh, defensive patterns, um, that type of stuff, I think is really where you start like delineating the two. Uh, I always felt like navigation was a lot more science focused. Um, whereas, you know, your helm flight controller is more uh, almost like an engineering background. Uh, I felt like there was a little bit of a divide there. Um, okay. Who fires the photon torpedoes? That's what everyone wants to know. <laughs> well, at least in the originals, at least in the original series, it was, uh, it was generally Chekhov more than, uh, anything else so so sulu was the one flying the ship and uh and and Chekhov was like working really closely hand in not hand in hand but like closely with him literally right there right next to each other um feeding information to him but also managing the weapons and some of the other stuff so i almost wonder i mean i'd have to, I'd have to go dig through the technical manuals to remember for sure but uh um i almost wonder if the helmsman was almost kind of a prototypical operations officer um, you know, in the original series, and then they kind of like changed it around heading into next gen era. Um, I think, yeah, I think Chekhov definitely was operations and weapons, especially yeah. advanced into the movies, right? And security, very security focused too, yeah. right? Chekhov, so yeah, operations definitely tactical, operations almost like maybe navigation could be also tactical. Uh, yeah, certainly, yep, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Optimal okay. positions and uh, finding the and tracking your opponent too, right? Or your your adversary or whatever. Yeah, something good to think about when you're setting up a TOS game, because this is my first time doing that. Um, setting up a movie era game is what we're playing. And all of a sudden I had to confront that because TNG level games, you don't confront that. Um, and so something to talk about for those of you who are playing TOS and getting players into those positions. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, primarily here though, and Sky, correct me if I'm wrong, you're, you're playing TNG era, right? Because that's the odyssey behind you. Uh, yeah, yeah. T TNG slash STO, it basically works the same way, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, fantastic. So so why don't we open it up to this then? Why are flight controllers so cool? And why would people want to pick it for their character? Why don't you start, Sky, with this one? Okay, yeah. So so I, I am biased here because I am a pilot in real life. I have a pilot's license. So when I came into the Star Trek Adventures game, you know, my GM's like, okay, who wants to play what? I'm like, I'm a flight controller. I'm the flight controller, like <laughs> smashing the button. Um, <laughs> and um, so it's just kind of one of those things where I wanted to do it because I love flight. If you like, if you are into like Top Gun or aviation in, in general, or even just like um, ship handling, uh, sailing or whatever you're gonna have a great time with the flight controller role good jim what about you what's your take on it and then al since you wrote the section yeah i think um i think 
Gosh, you know, and this is one of the things I appreciate about Mayweather. And I know a lot of people won't say that because like there was so little for him to do on the show, which is really unfortunate. And I think they they underutilized that character just like they did a lot of other characters. But um, I think um, if if you are like me and you are a super geek about the space program and about flight and about uh, just flight dynamics and just like 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 getting into the weeds about um how the how the systems work and how they they flew the ship and how they manage all those like if like like flight controller is such a great way to get into that into the into the into the weeds and then you know like sky said if you're into top gun if you're into the the like um uh star wars um uh what was that series called uh rogue squadron <laughs> right that that whole and uh, like uh, space above and beyond Battlestar galactica like that whole flight deck shtick with the with the pilots doing the pilot thing and you got the flight you got the flight deck people doing their thing like i would love to figure out a way to get that into a star trek game and make it feel appropriate and like unfortunately the 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 the, the franchise just doesn't quite go in that angle except maybe like maybe during the dominion war you could kind of make it fit uh with hoppers or something or, or the, the small the small fighter craft that they use but I, like I love that concept, and I've done it a few times in Star Wars uh, role playing games, where you've got like, okay, everybody's a pilot, and you're on a frigate, and you're just doing different missions. It's like the the old uh, X Wing uh, video games, right? You're just doing constant missions. You're out there with the pilots doing the missions, and I, I'd love to do something like that with Star Trek. But that that if you're into that kind of concept, that's what the flight controller is really something that you can wrap your head around and 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 play with. Um, but at the same time. And I, I promise I'll stop. Um, at the same time, the the flight controller, like if you look at some of the characters on the shows, especially Riker, um, they all started as flight controllers and worked their way through the ranks, diversified their skill set, and then ended up in the center seat eventually, right? So that it, there's a very clear career path for you. Uh, so you, like if you're a player who wants to, actually, this is a good thing to talk about Star Trek Adventures, right? Is if, if you're a player and and you're the type of player who wants a character who can advance right to level up and to gain rank and to gain experience the flight controller is a really good one to do it because you could start as an ensign or you could start as a lieutenant jg and over the course of your campaign you can increase your skills but also increase your rank and get more responsibility change roles do different things and so i i really try to encourage um you know i know al you caught on, you touched on this in the in the player's guide but even when I was working on the uh, the command source book, I really tried to emphasize that, like, if you're that kind of player, this is a good role for you because this gives you that opportunity. Whereas if you're like playing the captain or the first officer, you, you're probably not going to get promoted over the course of the campaign. And you have to be OK with that. Right. And a lot of players are OK with that. But you just have to you have to find your reward in different ways. Uh, whereas playing the flight officer, I think there's immediate opportunity for rewards because you can you got a whole bunch of ranks you can gain and a whole bunch of uh, skills and stuff that you can uh, pick up on. Good. And Al, you're the one who wrote the box. Choose this role. If so, what's your take on it? Yeah. And, and um, uh, the, one of the things that I found uh, fascinating uh, when I when uh, I settled into the position was the concept of. Um, sure, like you're in control of this massive uh, piece of equipment, right? It's almost like an extension of yourself. Um, but at the same time, you're, you also have like um, some management roles um, actually on the flight deck, uh, you know, working with, um, uh, you know, making sure that the the shuttles are all working properly and, and uh, things like that. So I thought that like my coming in that there was a lot that you could do with this role that maybe you don't see on screen very much. Um, and I kind of wanted to try to define that for our game 
um, when I came into it. Yeah, I mean, over in five years of playing this game, our flight controllers, of course, Al's been our number one flight controller now promoted to uh, first officer or first officer. But I really saw kinship with engineering because the engineers trying to hold the ship together and and the flight controller is always trying to figure out how they can push it to its limit and get the most out of it really even using power like give me more power um i i love the rule i've mentioned it before where if you want to increase power to any um or you can spend power to uh make it so that if you spend like three power on something and it creates it increases the complication range when you roll on something it, it gives you bonus momentum kind of like you're really pushing the ship to its limits and i i love that idea that really your flight controller if you're playing the flight controller you need to be testing out the limits of that vessel what it can do um and be begging for power because sometimes you're gonna have to pull off a maneuver and five dice may not cut it you may actually need some momentum. And so you may need to beg Scotty for, you know, give me everything into the impulse engines for this tight turn. So to me, it's a really exciting thing to play. And I've noticed that the person who plays the flight controller with us also, they can run engineering if they have to, because they know the ship um, and, and, and kit bashing and all that kind of stuff when necessary to get the most out of their vessel. So I, th- I, f- I found it very exciting, very hand solo for, to borrow from another franchise. <laughs> and the rollability really plays into that as well, right? Like the, the fact that you can use con instead of engineering to try to identify some problems with the engines and things like that, because you know, uh, you know, when uh, your port thrusters are, are off by two percent because you're making corrections and it's overcorrecting, you know. Yeah. Um, so calling that out to engineering, I think, is really really fun. Uh, and being able to use your navigational um, sensors and whatnot uh, to help, um, you know, inform the crew what might be wrong with the ship, I think, is really fascinating. Well, so now I want to ask Sky and Al and, and Jim, if you played a flight controller before, what your most memorable moment was. I mean, you must have exciting stories to tell if you've done stuff. So give us like 30 seconds to 60 seconds on what your most death defying or interesting flight scenario was. Sky, why don't you start? I did an Immelman in an Odyssey class starship. Great. Okay, educate educate the people who don't okay. know flight. An Immelman is basically it's it's a it's a it's a split S, but the reverse. So it's it's when you go um, go from straight and level, and then you turn the ship, and then you you cruise away, um, like in the opposite direction. But I did that because we had a Borg cube hot on our tail. There was a spatial rift right behind us, and I was gunning it to that spatial rift. And I like, and I pushed her to, you know, right at the last second, just woof, so that the the uh, the cube would go woof through that spatial rift, and there was all this space debris on the other nice. side. Nice, like, I see. That's whoosh. awesome. See, and what I really love about it was it, great. See, it was yeah. awesome. And since you're a pilot too, I mean, this is awesome that you can call out these maneuvers. Like, I would love that if it's somebody I'm playing with. Like, okay, show me what that is. Because I know when I punch up stuff like that, you'll usually see a little diagram with a picture of the maneuver, right? So that's so Yeah, cool. and I wish I had those little, like, planes oh, on sticks, sticks yeah. from Top Gun. Like, because then it would make it easier because my hands are so big. But yeah, yeah, no, like, an Immelman's basically a, an inverted split S. Mm-hmm. Scott, uh, I'm going to ask you to do something for continuing missions. I'm going to okay. ask you... 
separate articles for each type of maneuver and what the what the attribute discipline or gated challenge or linear challenge would look like to pull okay. that off, including how much that. power you have to pull from the engines to do that. I would love I to, to make pull that a, a lot of power. Well, because uh, well, for the Odyssey, it's not the thrusters um, necessarily, because once you get her going, she's fast. Mm-hmm. It's the inertial dampers because okay. she's huge. She's a two thousand five hundred strong crew so she's oh, uh, yeah and so you have to add like if there's complications to scale we'll talk offline yeah but yeah. i think we need to make this a cool continuum because i think that would jazz me up if i was a flight controller and i don't <laughs> really know how to but i can look at all these maneuvers to pull off because we have the, i know we have the picard maneuver and the Riker maneuver up there mm-hmm. but i would love real traditional air force maneuvers <laughs> yeah dog fighting is not really something starships do but it's space you mm. know the 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 only real enemy in space is inertia and momentum mm. so you know you've got a large ship she's a large mass so it takes you know a lot of force to get her going but when she's going oh, yeah <laughs> okay now i'm excited this is great we'll have uh that's an episode we'll need uh, we'll need sky and uh, uh, Thomas, uh, Thomas Maroney, for sure, because I think I think the two, the two of you going back and forth, we can just sit back and watch. <laughs> OK, we'll get some in the queue. We'll get it started. Sky, get them on continuing missions and then we'll, we'll talk. We'll, we'll break it down with people. We'll probably combine some animations um, of real ships or real planes doing it that we could stream into it. That'd be awesome. Al, what about you? What's the coolest maneuver you, you your character pulled off? Uh, so we had been sucked into this layer of subspace that was just filled with plasma um, and we couldn't go to warp and um, the impulse drive was down uh, as we got sucked in. It got damaged and there were these two dimensional beings that were chasing us uh, and we we couldn't move. We were dead in the water. Um, so I called down to the flight deck and told them to open the doors and uh, magnetize the shuttles right there in front of the uh, the doors. And we kind of used that to get a little bit of momentum. Um, we ran, the, we we steered the ship using the shuttles uh, out of the flight deck. That was, uh, that was, it was brilliant. And mind you, That's cool. and mind you, he was so desperate because I had 41 threat in the queue at that time. I remember that. That's my 41 threat day uh, that oh, I talk no. about. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And that was, and I'll, I'll give homage to the module written by Tony Pye, which is a mission brief um, that you can look up on continuing missions where, where it's a very scary uh, module mm-hmm. um, with thin stars, just Google or, or just search thin stars in the search mm-hmm. bar. What about you, Jim? Flight controller or any cool maneuver you remember in a game? Uh, it wasn't exactly a maneuver in, in the sense that Sky and uh, uh, Al are talking about, but so back in the day before SCA, uh, my group uh, and I played a homebrew because at the time we didn't like FASA and we didn't love Last Unicorn Games and Decipher hadn't come out yet. So this is you know way back in the day. And um, we didn't actually have a flight controller player character, but we had basically the equivalent of supporting characters, right? So just because like, you know, if our characters weren't doing something, we would just pick up an NPC and and play them instead. And so uh, we were we were on a mission to, uh, and I'm trying to remember the details, uh, we were on a mission to to evacuate a planetoid that was in the in the um, oncoming wake of a spatial anomaly of some sort that was going to destroy everything and everybody on the on the moon. And we we figured out over the course of the episode that uh, if we got the the ship too close, 
it would be destroyed as well, right? So we were like, hey, what, what the hell are we going to do? How are we going to get all these people off the planetoid onto our ship without risking the ship? And so uh, myself as flight controller and then a couple of the other player characters, we figured out, well, why don't we take the shuttles and string the shuttles along at the maximum possible distance from each other to where we could start beaming people and do like a relay from shuttle oh, to shuttle to shuttle, uh, shuttle and then to that's the ship. That's cool. That's and, cool. and so the, the flight controller that we did basically the equivalent of an extended task uh, where we, we had the flight controllers working with the engineers to figure out how is this possible that we can actually make this work and keep everybody in the buffer and keep the buffer stream consistent from shuttle to shuttle. And how do we work with the science officer to make sure that all the shuttles are in the right position and aligned in such a way that we can do this without getting caught up in the whole spatial anomaly stuff. So I was the lead flight controller, if I remember right. And then some of the other players who weren't involved got to play some of the piles. So we had like, we 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 uh, we cleared the deck. Like we had like, I think we had eight non-player character names for every department. And we used every single pilot we had on our sheet. We were like, okay, we you know we made up these eight names. We've never used them, so let's use them all now. We were we had like crewman this and crewman that, and uh, you know petty officer this and petty officer that. We had we, the the whole flight team got got uh, accolades that episode because we we made it work. And isn't uh, that amazing? It was, it was just a neat idea to have like this this consistent transporter beam from the planetoid to the ship, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and all the different pilots maintaining their individual ships. And I mean, it was just a yeah. visual in our head. Yeah. And this so. is the thing that video game people will not understand is like, yes, it takes steps. Yes, it takes more time than pew, pew, pew video games. But the memories that come from pulling off these stunts, I've yeah. only seen in a TTRPG. I mean, my favorite when I think about just ships going crazy and I was just so amazed at the piloting was the, the a fleet battle. In, involving cause dragons so that, that we, we have this species um, that was created by one of our players and they actually flew bioorganic dragons that bonded with them symbiotically and so our group our crew had actually teamed up with them to take out the enemy squadron and some Romulans dragon and it riders was, of Pern. <laughs> yeah basically exactly you remember Anne McCaffrey taking it back oh my goodness mm-hmm. classic yeah so basically think that right so 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 it was so amazing and everyone was just like at the end of the battle crying and exhausted and and and, and we were just so cheering I mean really the ship was fly, flying apart at that point but i i couldn't believe that after we were done playing everyone was like we need time just to marinate on this this was one of the most <laughs> epic cosmic battles we've ever been a part of so again to the point a video game can't give you that but as a flight controller in star trek adventures you can become a hero pretty quickly yeah uh just a quick non sequitur because you mentioned it and it is actually related um speaking of uh dragon riders of pern uh, it's long out of print but if you are a fan of the series, uh, of Anne McCaffrey's series, see if you can track down a copy of the book called The Dragon Lover's Guide to Pern. It was a hardback when it first came out. It might have come out in softcover, but My in that book, it. what's that? My mom has it. <laughs> oh, yeah, your mom has it. Perfect. I've got a copy on my shelf. But um, in that book, uh, uh, Anne McCaffrey's son um, wrote a whole section about um tactics flight tactics on how the dragons would attack the thread in different maneuvers they would do and they would fly in and like that stuff is gold for this kind of a role so like you know pull pull resources from wherever you can find them but this is probably the least expected place you would think to find it would be so find yourself a copy of the dragon lover's guide to pern 
Uh, I don't remember who wrote I it. I just found a um, paper. Uh, it's written by Jody Lynn Nye. Oh, jo- of course, Jody, Jody Lynn Nye. Yeah, great. Yeah. Fantastic science fiction fantasy author. Where, where's HBO here? <laughs> oh, wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> Why have they not? Oh, so cool. Like the thread coming oh. down and getting the dragons and the dragons getting burned up. Oh, it's a perfect series. Uh, I mean, they're, um, HBO, especially because there's some really awkward... Uh, um like consent stuff going on and uh mm-hmm. yeah uh, sexual issues and stuff that would be really but probably doesn't play well this in this day and age but uh i'm sure hbo be rewritten up. anything could be rewritten well anything, see, yeah. and again look at this this is just coming off talking about flight controllers and what they can do right now i, I want to expand on something though and I, because we've seen it happen in our game and Let's expand our mind about what a navigator can do and what navigation means. Okay, so so um, put that out there and talk to us about what you feel navigation means. I mean, are you really stuck behind the chair? <laughs> right, right. But but in game terms, where yeah. could players take this? Sky, what do you think? Okay, so you know if I'm kind of going off of um like what navigators actually are because uh flight engineers um back in the day when uh i think it was like you know like the 70s 80s that era of aviation um and and before that in the golden age um they did all the fuel burn calculations they did a lot of the navigation calculations uh wind resistance all sorts of that kind of stuff so a lot of the calculations that go into flying um cuz flying is different from navigation so when you make a flight plan you know that's and then you know you have your headings you have all of that that's the navigation piece of it um that's like where the math happens mm-hmm. um and then you know flying is much more like procedural there's checklists there's you know like you don't go past this speed you don't go you don't do this you have to do it this way um and you know that's what a lot of flying is so so the navigation really is the um kind of like the flight planning, the fuel burn, the, you know, the mm. kind of the nuts and bolts of, um, of the, the flight and the phases of flight. So Jim, I'm loving this. So let, I'm not pitching anything, but sky pitch that in a story, a flight <laughs> yeah, controller. And especially if that was an enterprise era, oh. mm. I'm sorry. I'd be addicted to playing that one. That's, wow. that's why there's I'm writing come, an enterprise era right now. <laughs> yeah. And there's more, there's more to talk about, but Al, you were going to say something? Yeah, I, I was going to say that, um, you know, when I look at uh, navigation, uh, you know, I, I don't just, uh, it's knowing where you are in three-dimensional space, right? Does that mean, you know, that it's necessarily uh, just where your ship is? No, I would apply that to like, if you're lost on a planet, and your shuttle is broken down and you need to find your way to a location, I would argue that con um, is the stat you would use to try to get there, right? To try to figure out how how to navigate across this vast wilderness, if you will. Um, And I think that lots of times uh, people see that that term con and think it's just piloting a ship. But I think that three-dimensional awareness and reasoning um, also comes into play. Uh, So if you're on an away mission or you're stuck on a planet, make some con rolls, see if you can figure out where you're going. Okay. What about, keep keep on the same train, navigating 
space in Star Trek has gone beyond three dimensions. Mm -hmm. And there's multiple realities. There's navigating time through temporal mechanics. There's navigating the mind. There's all these things that can be navigated. And I know I've written stories and some have been published about different things that a con officer might actually be able to do intuition. And I like the way Sky was talking about the mathematics involved, that, that, that this person might be able to make some leaps and think beyond three dimension. That's part of the reason why I love playing con as a betazoid. Oh yeah. Oh, there you yeah. go. Navigating the mind, right? Because yeah. like, so you know, like part of how I, cause like people are, oh, betasoids, they're, they're empathic. They're, they understand they're great diplomats. And while yes, my character became a diplomatic powerhouse as a captain, as a con officer, she was very much like, she was super intuitive of where she was in space mm. um, and where her crewmates heads were at and kind of just the, her, her betazoidness allowed her to have an awareness of the ship and, and be able to hold space for the calculations and everything in her head that a human might not necessarily be able to do. So, mm. you know, and, and my GM loved that. So. Yeah. Also yeah. seeing people use, I'll just say one last thing on the same vein. Don't forget transporter. When it, I was actually kind of surprised in the book, when it says transport is a, I think a reason plus engineering feat. It oftentimes I think should be con in a lot of situations when you're trying to locate someone and get coordinates and beam them to the right spot that feel free, you know, use con instead of engineering um, to you to affect transporters. Sorry, Jim. Well, yeah, it would it would it would go back to that engineering overlap, right? Mm -hmm. And my my con officer, part of her backstory was that she was a test pilot. And so test pilots have to be engineers. Right. So engineering was her when she was a con officer, engineering was her second strongest stat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think as a as a player, it just uh, you know, think about what your character's strengths are. And be be willing to think outside the box. So if you're if you're you know like you're saying, Michael, if uh, if you say, oh, well, this is a, a reason plus engineering task, you know, if you're the flight officer or the flight controller, and you're like, well, you know what, I if I if I if I approach this problem in a certain way, I think I can justify using con instead, and then go on the techno babble spiel and uh, and make it work. Uh, so yeah, I think I think that's a great opportunity for a player to be um, willing to take the reins a little bit and say, look, I, I think this because you know it should be a give and take, right? It shouldn't be the game master just dictating what uh, what it what it should be. You know, you have a player, you have it, you have agency. So so you know, take advantage of it. You know your character better than your your game master probably. Um, yeah. One of the things I want. Oh, go ahead, Michael. No, I was going to say, and sometimes remember it can also replace security. I'm thinking about, for instance, if you're on the ground in a survival and you're you're pit against. Klingons who are hunting you down or trying to find the Romulans, con can be used as security to be like, this is the most advantageous route. These are some yeah. things I noticed along the way that we could use as defense, cover, attack, you know, natural elements. So again, really encouraging players, think outside the box about some, somebody who ha would have con would be trained in in various yeah. situations. Yeah, I mean, like, and just as we've been talking, we've, we've talked about how the con officer can interface with so many of the other Key characters, right? The engineer, the scientist, 
the uh, the operations officer, even the you know the command staff, right? Science, uh, you know, um, the security officer too. I mean, there's so many ways that you could connect with the other bridge crew in meaningful ways that have nothing to do with the mechanics of the game, right? Just role playing potential. There's a lot of stuff to do, even if you're the the pilot assigned to be on the away team to pilot the shuttle, right? Or or go or beam down to the planet. Um, I mean, that's that, that's something we haven't talked about yet. Is the is the instant uh, value that you bring to every away team, right? Is, is there going to be a shuttle? You're on the shuttle. Guess mm-hmm. what? Ding! You're you're all set. You're good to go. You don't have to worry about being left behind or anything. Um, one thing I wanted to mention, and this tied into some of the other conversations, is if you think about the the classic Age of Sail, right? All those young midship, midshipmen were put on the ships with the captains and the first officers and all the other lieutenants, and they were drilled every day on navigation using sextants in the sun and the you know figuring out where are you in the world because you're out there on that gigantic ocean all by your lonesome you didn't have technology other than what you had on the ship with you and if you couldn't figure out where you were you were screwed like you were seriously screwed and like the master of the ship would be like what the hell is this guy doing he's not the captain he shouldn't be the (laughs) captain um so um so one of the things i love to do when there's a flight officer is to um you know it's, it's, it's classic right you take the technology away and you force them to come up with what are they going to do without that technology to lean on? And uh, it's like, okay, well, okay, so you're the con officer and all the primary ship systems are down. You've got to navigate out of this uh, hazardous nebula or whatever. How are you going to do it? It's like, well, you literally got to look out the window and grab your sextant. Where am I <laughs> in the world? And, and start figuring out the math and stuff and get your science officer to help you. Um, That's so when I yeah, and what I like about that too, I think I've I've talked before about biomimetics. Yeah, there's creatures in nature that navigate in with senses humans do not have, mm-hmm. and beyond the sensors that even a spaceship would have. So, so my wife was just reading a book. I wish I knew the name of it, but it's about all the extra senses that creatures have that we don't. Um, and I believe me, it is now going to be one of my best Star Trek books <laughs> to reference. It's like oh, I'm going to be pulling a lot of this into writing. So, if yeah. you are a flight controller, study that. How do blind animals navigate bats? You know all the different ways that creatures without eyes ears smell navigate Ooh, you yeah. would be a, possibly a master of that right yeah and we've seen a also lot of cool stuff <laughs> uh, i'm sorry what was that guy also a betazoid thing as i was saying before yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i mean we, we've seen so many examples on the shows about different um cosmozoans um like flying the space eddies and uh like uh mm-hmm. Uh, we've had that conversation before where like you take real life concepts and you translate them into space with the techno babble. Like there could be like a, you know, a, the equivalent of a, uh, a hurricane in space. And like, as a, as a navigator flight control, you gotta figure out, you know, what, what pattern are, is the, is the disruption going in and how can I navigate the ship in such a way to help that? So, I mean, there's just so much cool stuff that you can do with, um, with space and, and just making stuff up and making it sound, you know, realistic. Uh, one of the things that I do like about the position as well is um, the talent selection that has been written into the game mm-hmm. is so really like it's super thematic uh, and most of them don't come up very often. But when they do, it's like you are showing that you are the best of the best flying your ship. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I highly recommend trying some of these at like, when's this ever going to arise? Because mm-hmm. when it does, you're going to feel like a superhero. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's an interesting first point. Time, yeah, oh, yeah, I use push the limits. Oh, boy, that was mm-hmm. great. <laughs> you, you raise an interesting point, Alan. I think I want to I want to get your your collective insights on this. Um 
let me get my thoughts together. Star Trek Adventures is interesting in that um, everybody gets to pick, you know, four talents or four special rules. And and you're right. I, oftentimes those talents might not come up that frequently. You know, I think of a, a game like, you know, I, I remember uh, uh, D&D fourth edition, right, where you pick your feats like those feats were probably guaranteed to be used every time you got into a fight. So you weren't you weren't feeling like you were wasting a, a, a feat slot on particular things. But I, I have heard some chatter on uh, on various STA um, you know, sites about how, like, you know, you don't want to waste the talent on these these cool um, things for your role that may not ever come up that often. And my thought is like, well, well wait, wait a minute now. You're a player. Talk to your game master. Say, I picked these cool talents for a reason. I want to see these in my game. Like, like don't let me use it like once every 10 episodes or something. Make it a re- regular ongoing thing somehow. So, you know, have that conversation with your with your game master and your group and say, look, I'm going to be playing the flight officer, first of all, which means, you know, we're going to be kind of slanting some story ideas toward wanting to do more flight type of stuff. Um, but I'm just kind totally. of, like, collectively, I, I, I want to agree on that. No, yeah. I totally want to agree with that. I think one of the, one of the tasks, excuse me, one of the talents that Al's character had was covering advance. And mm-hmm. I don't know if they have any more, but I remember I designed a game <laughs> with, uh, with uh, Piers Buckley's, uh, burning the burning oh, yeah. i remember that was the one fighting the colic in there and i was like oh this is the perfect place finally we're gonna have a little fleet battle here a small mini fleet battle and okay i'm gonna say that it was a standstill by the end of the battle but when it was used in conjunction with the with the um uh main ship and the shuttles i was like this is kind of devastating and it it really kept them alive so to your point jim covering advanced people may, may think like, well, that's not really cool. I'm not in a lot of fleet battles. And so if you're the game master, create a, create a little battle mm-hmm. and, and give the chance for the character to shine. What do you, what do you two think, Al Sky? Yeah. I'm all about flavor and story. So that, uh, you know, I, when you're building a character, sure, it, you might want to lean towards taking bold or cautious in whatever department you're in. But I would say, you know, I think your story is going to be much more interesting if you've got those unique talents. And when they come into play, you're going to be so much more excited and you're going to be that much more connected to the game than just saying, oh, well, I'm going to buy a d20 and get a re-roll you know what i mean mm-hmm. um I, i've that's just who i am as a role player uh, I, I do the same thing with focuses right i like to have a couple of broad ones but then i like to have these really really narrow ones because you know the one time when uh playing the tuba comes into play <laughs> it, you know it's it like it, it just makes everything more robust and more yeah, that much more character driven mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and I bet when you put those really, I don't want to say esoteric, but when you put those really narrow specific focuses on your sheet and, and your game master actually pulls that thread. Right. I mean, that that's for me personally, as a player, that's 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 heaven because that's like, oh, my, my game master is actually paying attention to some extent on on what's on my sheet and what my character is and what my character can do and isn't just throwing his own his or her own plot stuff at us and we're reacting to it all the time there's actually some some synergy there and uh, i think yeah as a game master you know not to put more work on you but like really you are there and i'm, and I'm going to channel sam here uh sam deleb who was on the show a couple of weeks ago uh i'm going to channel her and say like you know as a game master as a fellow player at the table um you are there to facilitate an awesome experience for your other players and so anything you can do to enhance that is going to be a win 
And one of the best ways to do it is to look at your players' character sheets. Look at their look if they if they bring a history to the game, like if they've taken the effort outside of the game to create a history for their character and they bring that along, pick through it. Find some cool find some cool stuff in there. But definitely look at their focuses, look at their talents and uh and give them opportunities to be awesome on the show. Cause like we see that every week on the show. All the all the uh all the lead characters, right? All the lead actors. Are, I mean, they're contractually obligated to to have cool moments, but so are we, right? We we show up week after week to the game, so give us cool stuff to do. Don't don't make us just like Al said. Don't make us spend momentum just to roll another d twenty or something. That's boring. Let me yeah. do something cool with my character, right? <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and the operations command book have amazing add on yeah uh, talents in there. Besides the focuses one could create, I know um, uh, one of my favorite. One was to ask my favorite that I discovered in the operations manual was exploiting engineering flaw. Go look that up, people. Go go look at what that does, and it makes the con officer. I mean, if they're if they have to fire a photon torpedo, they are going to be kick butt with the exploit engineering flaw, which we see on Star Trek all the time. Sky, did you have a favorite talent that? Yeah. So we I I I talked about pushing the limits before. Um... And I think we actually tailored that one a little bit down because of our setting. Um, Cause I think the way that the talent actually works is like, okay, there's like something in the natural environment in space that is affecting your ability to fly or navigate. And, you know, this is, you know, and then this talent basically like, I don't remember exactly how it was, but it basically makes it moot. Um, but we, we expanded that, that, um, that focus a little bit, that, that, um, purview, uh, to also include a few other circumstances, um, just so that there was other things that like, you know, I could use it for, um, kind of along the same vein, not like, um, it was not significantly different or anything, just kind of something where it's like, okay, there can be different scenarios where this, um, this can be used. Like if you're in atmosphere, we did one where it was, we went in, in water, we went into the ocean with the ship and we went straight down to the depths. And I was in, I guess you could technically consider this a natural environment, but I used push the limits to keep Good. the ship going down 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 as far as we needed to go cool. um so you know oh, it's yeah. that's i really liked that talent whenever i got to use it i'm gonna say Al, i was boring i really liked my cautious con um <laughs> which is funny because my character's role model well not just role model but mentor was tom paris <laughs> so that's uh cool. but she 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 was definitely like cut from similar but different cloths <laughs> Yeah, I've been I've been going and reading. Through, I'm in the fourth book of the Vanguard novel, and in, in the third book, they pulled the underwater maneuver with the USS Sagittarius, which was so cool. But but I, as I've been reading the starship maneuvers in there, I'm like, oh, how would this play out in Star Trek Adventures? You know, I'm like, what would the, be the mechanics behind this? Such a good good series. All right. Um, uh, one other thing I was thinking about with the that you can do with the con officer is navigating through Jeffrey's tubes in a security manner. Like you know the ship again and getting through and maybe befuddling enemies who've taken over the ship. Con could be a really good one for mapping that out and building a tactical strategy for the crew. <laughs> I, I can go on all day. Like, I know my ship, yeah. but for con officers. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. One one other thing uh, that I was thinking of, uh, Michael, you actually you actually touched on this. Um, is um, is not thinking so much about your ship, but thinking about all the other ships, 
right? So maybe you're a con officer who has really studied up on all of your um, adversary opponents, right? Maybe you, maybe the uh, the Starfleet equivalent of the Janes, uh, the Janes manuals for all the different aircraft that are out there. Like maybe you studied extensively on Romulan space frames or Cardassian space frames or alien space frames or whatever, and and you could be, um, you know on the edge of a conflict with another ship and you could be just your, your knowledge and your insight could be like that ship is listing just a little bit to port. I think there's something wrong with this aft RCS thruster quad or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that could be an advantage that you could pick up on. If your captain ends up getting into a, into a scrap with this, with this ship, you can use that to your advantage or something. Oh, uh, I love that. You know, can, I do too. I've done stuff can, like that. And well, it's amazing. I, yeah. I love it. Well, I want to add on to something that Sky has said too with Jim with what you're saying now is remember Sky mentioned that they went and adapted the talent to suit their character. And so what you're talking about, Jim, is write that talent, somebody. If you like what Jim's saying right now, write that talent where you know other ships' tolerances. You know, mm-hmm. you you know their breaking point or something. Um, yeah. I think that would be a great boon to any crew. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think about I, I, I'm pulling this right right out of Top Gun, right? Where they they those pilots get all the intel right and they spend so much time studying what are other what are the capabilities of our of our adversaries uh, fighter craft right what can they do sometimes they manage to get one right they manage to uh, acquire one from from one way or another or they they get the intel on it and they're like oh well we can actually get hands on hands on stick time right and, and fly it around and get a feel for like this is how this ship operates or the, how this craft operates we're, if we're going to be fighting this craft, here's what we can do to take advantage of it. Maybe certain, like I, I don't know, Scott, you know the technical details better than I do. Mm-hmm. Some some flight frames have different turn radiuses and and tolerances at, at oh, absolutely. speeds and different yeah. altitudes that you can manage, and like that can translate very easily into space. You just just make up the techno babble, and uh, you know a, a con officer would be really well suited to know that stuff. So, so a good example would be the MiG-15 versus the F-4 Phantom in Vietnam. The go. MiG-15 <laughs> was very maneuverable, like side to side this way. So you did not want to get in a turning fight with a MiG-15 in an F-4 because it was very heavy. It was very big. It was an interceptor more than it was a fighter. So what the F-4s would do is they would use their bigness and those big old engines on there and they would do vertical, you know, climbs and dives to meet up with these migs who are trying to you know you know squirrel away from them but they're they're using their bigness and their their momentum their weight to to maneuver in a different way that works for the f4 doesn't work for the mig because the mig is using maneuver for the f4 i love this i love this guy we've got to translate you into making the ultimate con book for so if we ever if we ever do a book on the Dominion War, because I think the, the Dominion War is probably the one that was best suited to show big fleet engagements and and like meet you know uh, different scales of starships getting into all the banking and stuff. Now of course DS9 was was fortunate in that uh, CGI technology was getting good to the point where they were able to do some of that dynamic stuff with the especially in the later seasons with some of those space battles and that's where you can start you know really bringing some of this stuff into it. And I think that'd be really cool to figure out how to translate that into uh, 
into into a game uh, sort of thing without getting too down into the weeds about the uh, the mechanics. Well, I think we're going to get have another episode, Sky, at some point, <laughs> just about flight maneuvering. Yeah. And like like Jim said, we're going to invite Thomas, and we're going to geek out on yeah. what uh, you can do oh, with your I ship. So <laughs> <That's> <laughs> okay. Um, I can't believe we we've been at this for almost an hour. Well, almost an hour, almost 45 minutes now at this point. So let's do a go around and talk a little bit more about, you know, why pick the flight controller. Um, let's start with Al because you have probably the most on what you may want to add on it since you wrote the chapter. Yeah, I I think that it's funny when when you're uh you know looking online at the game and people what people are talking about how like um you know there's always people looking for games but like what do we do for our you know medical officers well right underneath there it's like well what do i do for my con officer um and uh i i find that such a fascinating question because i've as a con officer i felt like i was always doing stuff i was in almost every scene um i felt like i was always an integral part of a story um so i guess as uh you know as a game master um creating those opportunities whether it's by you know piloting to an away mission um you know or giving uh the opportunity to have some type of uh combat encounter or whatever that's really important but also as a player you have a lot of tools that apply more uh, uh, apply to things beyond your little console, right? Um, beyond your joystick, you have you know you've got engine. You can help in engineering. You can you know uh, you, you can help in astromet uh, astrometrics. You can you. There's so many things that you can do. Um, go out there and make yourself part of the story. Right. Like, sure, you might not be that hot shot center of attention, um, you know, that's, you know, surfing the edge of a black hole, but you can still be an integral part of the story because your character uh, has stuff that applies everywhere. Um, so, uh, you know, as a GM, don't stress if you can't specifically make something for uh, your, your con officer, um, just give them opportunities to interact with the other characters um, you know, there was one time when there was a bit of a ruckus happening in engineering and our chief engineer wasn't on the ship. I went down there and pulled everyone back together, you know, and, and rallied them around fixing, you know, the warp core. Um, so go out there, be, make yourself part of the story because you will be integral no matter where you go. I love that. I'm going to I'm going to go next because I want Sky and Jim to have the last words because Sky I think will have, the, <laughs> might have some of the most insightful stuff too. I, I want to add on to Al talking about making the story. When you're flying through space and a battle occurs, um, I would think that the navigator, the flight controller would be aware of what's around them. So asking questions to the game master, like, is there a place for cover? What kind of spatial anomalies are around? How far are they? And then really working that into a battle strategy, even if you're in retreat and have to hide behind, you know, a ring of a, of a Saturn or something. But think if you're picking this character, close your eyes and think three-dimensionally and picture space. And if you need help, go on to YouTube and type in relaxing space scenes. And you'll get all these weird vistas and stuff. And to be like, okay, I, I want there. I want to go hide in that pocket of nebulous class gas. And what kind is it? Will it protect us? And make them do a role. The game master do a role on what kind of nebula it is. But look for cover. Look for places that you can take advantage. Uh, going back to how Skype 
destroyed that Borg cube with that spatial rip. You know, get into the mud of space. I know that sounds weird, but make it physical because that will really show that you are mastering the tapestry that's out there for you to help weave a good story. Scott? Uh, yeah, so it's interesting that you bring that up because um, of those two background things, I did mentored and I also did special commendation. And special commendation was on my character's first assignment, six months out of the academy. Um, she was like the third string con officer. We don't know how she got there, but because she was like Nova Squadron captain and all that. So we don't know how she got there, but. So she was doing a shift on alpha shift on the bridge, filling in for the science officer. She gets her degrees in astrophysics. And when the Breen come out of nowhere and they attack the ship, the shields are down, the weapons are down. The con officer is knocked out. You know, she sees all of this and the captain is dead. The first officer takes command and she runs to the con. She throws, you know, the unconscious con officer off the, the helm. You know, and she starts going because she'd seen on the, you know, the uh, like the displays, all the science data coming in that there is a I don't know if you remember the next gen episode where they had the the black cluster where it was having their shields up that actually was destroying them in this anomaly. But basically a more aggressive form of that anomaly, like, you know, 30 seconds away at full impulse and, you know, like. The, the tactical officer is like, like, you know, no, we need to get weapons back online. We need to fire back. And my character's like, no, we have no shields. We have no weapons. We need to go in there. And the, the you know, the, the, the tactical officer is like, are you insane? We don't have any shields. And, and they're like, trust me, no shields is good in there. For them, it's going to be bad. <laughs> they're going to follow us in there. And so she, you know, so the first officer is like, okay we're going with what you're saying. And she takes them into that black, black cluster and, and the Breen ships are destroyed. Be fine because their shields are down. So, <laughs> so know your spatial anomalies. Yes. Know your spatial anomalies. So <laughs> grab yeah. that con and, and, book, the science book, the utopia. Yeah, and, book. and I think, I think the thing about the con officer is that you have so many times and probably even more so than the captain to be the quote unquote, big damn hero. Um, you really do. So like, if, if you want to have those really cool moments, the con officer, you know, is probably right behind like the tactical officer in terms of, you know, or even on par with the tactical officer in terms of those things. Got me excited. Jim. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, gosh, I think we uh, I think we covered the gamut here of all the all the little notes that I wanted to make about it. Um, again, you know, not to not to be a shill, but check out the command source book. I, I put a lot of thoughts in there about the con con role and command role. Um, I think uh, I, I still think con is one of the best roles to play because there's so many places that you can go with it. There's so many different directions you can go, like especially I, I think it's. This is something we didn't really touch on. I think it's a good role for someone who's not that familiar with Star Trek. Mm -hmm. uh, it gives you a chance to do something cool and be involved with everybody. And it gives you a chance to learn, like, what does an engineer do? What does an operations officer do? What does a scientist do? What does the command officers do? And if, if you're newer to Star Trek and you're newer to the game, it gives you a chance to be patient, right? And think about, okay, now I can start thinking about my career path. Do I want to go toward command? Do I want to go toward engineering? 
like a Jordy, right? Jordy was a con officer and immediately became chief engineer. What look at that? Uh, and now I think he's a captain now, or, or, or somewhere somewhere in the lore he became a captain. Um, so uh, um, I, again, you know, we 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 threw a ton of ideas in this episode about ways that you can connect with all the other all the other roles uh, all over the ship. Um, plenty of opportunities for you to do every away team mission, whether you're on a shuttle or you're just beaming down because you're going to be the, the smart one who can find your way if you get lost. <laughs> right. Uh, so, I mean, there's just a wealth of potential for, for, for a flight controller, con officer, helmsman, whatever you want to call it. Um, that I, you know, the more I think about it over the last couple of years, I, having done the player's guide with, with Al and then just, you know, thinking through it is like, oh man, I really want to kind of, I want to play like a junior officer for once, but you know, forget yeah. being the captain of the first officer. I've done that. Uh, I want to be a junior officer and like get into the weeds and like be, be, uh, be the, uh, be the Paris. Right. And, uh, and just really get or Detmer even like get, get my hands dirty, uh, doing cool stuff with the ship and, uh, and everything. So yeah, I, I just have fun with it. More than anything Sweet. else, you can also be a lieutenant commander and be con officer. I was, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we even Worf sat at con sometimes again yep. as a tactical role. If you think about that, so amazing, uh, really great. I mean, the good thing about Star Trek, we're going to say in the shows, they're inconsistent enough that you could do whatever you want with your game. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, look at uh, 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 Dax, right? Uh, Dax was right. the science officer, and she she piloted the Defiant more often than not. <laughs> so uh, you know, be willing to take that talent where you can play multiple roles, right? And uh, and and be the science officer and the and the and the flight controller. Why not? You know, pair mm -hmm. pair those up in interesting ways. All right. Well, it's that time of uh, the show again where we go into gratitude. I like doing it to the brick and mortars who, of course, are stocking those hard copies of of, of the game. I, I, I um, finally opened up the deluxe edition Utopia Planitian was thumbing through pages last night. I just couldn't resist it. Yeah. And I'm just like, there's still something about a hard copy book. I've read it a hundred times in PDF, but the hard copy is just like, you know, my wife's like, didn't you already read it? I'm like, yeah, but it's just different. So um, we got to get those brick and mortars a shout out to them. Today, we are going to shout out, I'll shout out two. We got Shelby Cambron points out Adventures Underground in Richmond, Washington. And then we're going to take you all the way to Australia because Leon Peters Malone um, is calling out a store called Tactics, which is in St. George's Terrace, Perth. And the one I love about that is because Shelby Cambron uh, who had just quoted before, he said he visited that one in 1998, 2000, 2003, 2005. So, so Shelby's going around the world in order to visit tactics in St. George's Terrace, Perth. Now, that's what you call a super fan right there. So uh, why don't we go Al Sky and then we'll have Jim close it out for your gratitude. Yeah, my gratitude goes out to uh, WH Publications, uh, their Twitch channel. Uh, they pulled me on to do a learn to play uh, live stream of Star Trek Adventures. Um, uh, it was they had a blast. They've been messaging me every day, saying asking when we're playing again. So uh, thank you for having me on, and um, you know, hopefully we'll do some more learn to plays uh, moving forward. I watched the entire thing. I was on vacation. My wife was still sleeping. <laughs> so I said, well, let me just put it on and watch it. And that was so fun to watch their excitement. And I'm going to shout you out too, because you gave away stuff for people to play at the end of it. And I just thought that was so awesome. So thank you, Al, for promoting the game like that. All right. Yeah. I want to, again, thank Nick at Cryptid, 
for this uh, awesome background um, and uh, revamping the Enterprise F uh, bridge. And then I also want to thank all of my flight instructors over the years, all of my professors and teachers who have uh, indulged my obsession with all things flight and space and stuff. So uh, that kind of make it possible for me to talk about these things in a Star Trek context. So definitely. <laughs> I want to pick your brain. <laughs> yes, please. Well, I was on mute. Sorry. Uh, awesome. That's fantastic. Yeah. So um, I don't know. I don't, I don't even know who to thank. I, I want to thank everybody involved in like navigation and nautical fiction and uh history and the space program and just all that stuff and everybody like who created spaceships and uh and uh, the artists and the, and the cgi people just everybody involved in like making all that stuff happen because all that stuff is soup in my head that that comes out and, and and gets inspired by conversations like this to make me think of all these great ideas that could happen in in star trek and in space um, and, 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 you know, just adding that techno babble element to, to make it really cool, but still have that grounding in, in the, in the history and the science and, and to make it feel, uh, you know, realistic for the, for the, for the genre. So just th thanks to everybody there. Um, and then of course, uh, thanks to, uh, Al for running that show. I, I was able to watch about an hour of it, had a lot of fun. It sounded like everybody was really excited. Um, I need, I need to go back and watch the, the whole, the whole thing again, cause I want to see how it ended because <laughs> you guys were having so much fun and I had to cut out. Um, and then, uh, as always, thank you, Sky, for being here. Uh, you bring you bring such a great perspective to it, and uh, I just love the fact that you're you're a pilot. I mean, how perfect is that, right? Um, so yeah, and uh, and of course, uh, I can never say it enough. But thank you to all the fans, not just super fans like Sky, but all you casual fans out there who are trying out the game, playing the game, uh, checking it out for the first time, or are curious about it and aren't sure you want to get into it. Uh, give it a try, have fun, and. Uh, yeah, so thank you to the fans. Again, without the fans, we wouldn't be doing this, you know, going on seven, eight years now. So uh, thank you for being there and, uh, you know, get ready for more cool stuff to come. All right. All right. To boldly go. That's what we do. So IDIC, thank you, everybody. Live long and prosper. Be safe. Be well. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.